Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 20 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for downloading our show today, wherever you're listening in from. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Cracking show today as we chat with Olympic, world champ and Com Games medalist and Scottish legend, Dan Wallace. Caught up with Dan a week ago on Zoom and had a ball going through his amazing career with all the highlights, including the ones I just mentioned, as well as some great lessons learned along the way. We talk about his coaches, his time in Florida, what he's up to these days, and a whole lot more. And I couldn't help but leave this interview thinking what a great guy and someone who has a great perspective and outlook on life, and I loved it, and I know you guys will too. So find a quiet spot to listen, make sure your AirPods are turned up, because EP20 with Dan Wallace starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Noten's hand. But the symmetry of all eyes is the great Madame Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. Oh, he's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Belt in the black hats, and Belt is bullets. I cannot believe he's done that. Caught in front, caught in the hall, caught goes in. Australia win. Joining me today on the show is a man who has won medals at Olympic Games, World Championships and Commonwealth Games during his fantastic career for Scotland. He stood tall in 2014 in his hometown, winning three medals at the Commonwealth Games there, one of which was a gold in the 400 IM. And in 2016, along with his Team GB mates, he got a silver medal in the 4x200m freestyle relay. It's a massive welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast to Dan Wallace. Dan, how are you going, mate? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, really looking forward to, to this chat. You guys, you've had some amazing guests on so far. So uh, thanks for including me in, in the podcast and in, in the buzz. Mate, not a trouble at all. And thank you very much for the love. Um, uh, you definitely, I've been fortunate to have them. It's not, <laughs> all right, these guys are always just um, very giving with their time. And I always have to pinch myself. Um, that people actually reply to me and say, yes, I'm happy to pop on. So, uh, mate, very, very fortunate. What have you been up to lately? I know you're over in Scotland. Um, how's the pandemic hit you? And, and what have you been up to? Uh, yeah, I'm over in Scotland right now. It's been, it's been all right. You know, obviously, it's been a bit rough for everybody during the whole lockdown, but we're kind of on, almost on the way out of it now. So things are kind of relaxing a bit. Um, I've been trying to stay busy. I've been trying to stay as active as I can. Um, obviously not being able to get in the pool or anything not that I'm swimming anyway but um, not not going to have the option right now but I've been out, I've been in cycling quite a lot we've had some decent weather actually for once um, the sun is out right now so it's quite nice to kind of get out and about again and, and have a bit of normality back but no I'm doing well mate uh, if you were still swimming at the moment I've got to ask how would you have coped with with you know the Olympics being pushed back and obviously not being able to get into a pool and all this uncertainty how do you think you would have gone oh I mean it, it would be it would be hard to get your head right initially um, but obviously not that it makes it any easier but like they're all in the same boat you know we'd all be in the same in the same situation no matter where you're from and this is a global thing so um, in a way that that's a good thing, but it doesn't make it any easier. I mean, I would definitely struggle to get my head around it at first, but you know, depending on where I was in my career, you know, it can it could maybe be a good thing. 
you know. You, you get, yeah, you've got a little bit, a couple months, a couple months out the water, but in the long run, you're getting an extra year. So if you're an up and coming swimmer, if you're someone that's kind of at the peak and you're ready to go, then it gives you an extra year of of uh, of training hard and pushing yourself and, and seeing improvement. So um, depending on where you are in your career, it would be different. But um, yeah, I mean, it would be a, a real big blow initially. So I do feel for the swimmers and all the athletes, in fact, that they kind of have to go through this. But you know they're resilient guys. Um, they're, they're tough. They're they're in this for the long haul. So you know it's not going to slow them down. It's an initial blow, but they're going to bounce back stronger. And it's going to be a fantastic Olympic Games when it comes round. Mm. Well, obviously, you keep in touch with a lot of the the squad. Do you give some words of wisdom? Have they been sort of looking for that, or do you think everyone's pretty much got their heads on on right at the moment and they know what they need to do? Yeah, I mean, I keep in contact with a few, a few of the boys uh, from Team GB, Adam Peaty, James Guy, Duncan Scott, and a few of them. So we speak now and then, and we're in, we're in group chats and stuff. So I think they're doing pretty well. Um, they've all found different ways of, of staying kind of switched on and staying fit and staying healthy. So um, they're all looking pretty good. And then the, now they're all, they're all kind of getting back into the water slowly. So they're on their way again, and I, and I trust that they will be smashing it when they can. Absolutely. Mate, before we get started, I noted in my research that your nickname was Braveheart. First of all, is that true? And who gave that to you? So, I mean, I guess it's true. No one's really ever called me that in my life. <laughs> the, the media called me that. The media picked that name for me. Um, obviously, second name Wallace. If you've seen the movie Braveheart, it's mm-hmm. William Wallace. It's the main character. And so I've never been called brave hearts in my face, <laughs> but the media seemed to kind of pick that and, 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 and try and make it a thing. But I didn't, it didn't really pick up, but I think it was on my Wikipedia page. So everyone thinks I'm called Wayfair, but I'm just Dan. Wouldn't be like the media to make shit up, would it, mate? <laughs> You're right. I know. Weird. <laughs> mate, listen, talk to me about how swimming started for you. Um, what was it like over there? How did you get involved in swimming at the beginning? So I obviously learned to swim from a very early age. Don't really remember that much, to be honest. But I, was, I remember always being kind of in and around water and being very comfortable um, in the water as, as, as a really, really young kid. And then it was when I was nine years old, I joined my first swimming club in, down in Scotland, down the border between Scotland and England, in a place called Duns. And I swam. So I'm one of five uh, siblings. So at the time, there was four of us. And... Um, we kind of all just swam together as a kind of just like a family thing, just to keep fit or to do something and be active. My mum was really keen on us joining a swimming club, so we all joined at the same time. So at that point, it was just it was just a thing we did after school, um, you know, a couple of times a week. And then one by one, you know, my brother and my two sisters, they were all really good swimmers, but they all kind of had other, other interests. And then slowly it just became, it was just me left. So now we're talking about 12, 13. I'm kind of really enjoying being a swimmer. Not so much that I was really good at it, but mm. I like to compete. And I was there very much socially. I had some good friends. Um, so for the first kind of five years, you know, I was, it was a good swimmer. I was one of the best in the club, but it was a really small club. There was like 10 of us there some days um, total. So it wasn't the biggest club, but um, I, I, I kind of started to find my groove a bit and I really enjoyed it. So moving up to about 15 years old, that's when I started to think, right, maybe I want to see how far I can take this. And 
I was about 15 years old when I decided that I wanted to see how good of a swimmer I could be. And still at that point, I'm, you know, I'm making like Scottish age group championships, but I'm never, I'm never winning it. I'm never winning it um, until I'm, I, was, I was much older, until I was about 16, 17. So started off very socially. Um, I, 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 I learned pretty quickly that I like to compete. I like yeah. to race. Um, not that I won most of them. I just like to get up and go and, and use other people to kind of push myself. So mm. it, it, it all stemmed from just, you know, loving, having that competitive drive from a young age, but not taking it too seriously at that point. In terms of the family dynamics, mate, where do you fit into it? Oldest, middle, youngest? So I'm second eldest. So there's my oldest sister, then there's me, then I got a brother who's actually in Australia right now. He's mm. living there. And then I got two younger sisters. So the top four of us, we all swam together and they all thought, um, I'm, I'm not really into this <laughs> swimming thing. And I thought, I'm going to stick at it, see where it goes. And I hopefully I picked the right sport. Who knows? Wow, it seems like it turned out all right for you, mate. I, I think you did pretty well. <laughs> did you play any other sports, football over there? Oh, yeah, for sure. So when I was like, until I was about 15, I played uh, rugby um, and I played football, uh, soccer. Um, and I loved them both, and I was I was not bad at, at all three sports. And I was a pretty good runner actually. I did a lot of athletics. Um, pretty good at like two hundred meter running, hurdles. Uh, I really enjoyed that that stuff in school. But then at one point, it all had to kind of take a back seat. Um, but now that I don't swim, I kind of do it. I picked it up again. I picked up the bike. I do a bit of running. So it's good to kind of get back to what I used to really enjoy. Mm. Now that I've got a bit more flexibility in what I do. Have you looked at maybe getting into triathlons and stuff like that? Maybe not super competitively, but just... Yeah, maybe not super competitive, but definitely, like, I definitely want to give it a go. Um, just during lockdown, I've been doing so much cycling, man. Like, it's, it would be a shame not to give it a go. Um, I'm, I'm a decent runner. I'd like to think that I've got the swimming checked off. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely got to see... Maybe but at the end of the year, maybe, I'll, uh, I'll give it a go and see if there's a triathlon near me that I can... I can test the waters and see see where I stand in it, but uh, yeah, I'm, never, I'm not going to get properly into it. I quite like going for a, a run or a swim now and just being able to stop whenever I want to stop and it not have to be like really grueling hard training because for 15 years swimming for me was right, get in and you know work hard and push yourself and see improvement. Now it's more like you know I've just been for a 60k cycle and yeah, it was hard if you push yourself, but like. It was very much a sociable and an enjoyable thing. So that's what I quite like doing now. Hey, 60K bike ride. Do you have any dodgy moments out there? Are there any crazy drivers? Do you have to, you know, look out for dogs? What, what? Yeah, there's a few. There's a few. So I stay kind of right in the city centre of Edinburgh. So it takes us about 45 minutes just to get out of the city. And that's the kind of the worst part because you're zooming in at traffic. There's, there's so many red light traffic lights. You've got to stop every time. So I like getting out, out on the open road, out in the country road and not having to worry too much about all these crazy drivers pulling out in front of you and stuff. But again, as a driver, you know, cyclists are not the easiest people to get around either. So I can see it from both sides. But yeah, I, yeah, I prefer the, the quiet country roads. And what about heroes growing up? Did you look up to anybody? Yeah, so I had a couple of swimming heroes. So the, the swimming club that I mentioned, Dunn's, uh, where I first started, there was a swimmer there who also started there called Ewan Dale. And he, uh, he went to the Melbourne 2006 Olympic, uh, Commonwealth Games, sorry. Yep. And he won a silver medal in the 400 medley. 
and he won a silver in the 4 by 200 for Scotland. So he came from the same club I started at. And I, and I, at the time, 2006, that's when I was just, just starting at that club. So he was like our local hero. And I remember he came back after the Commonwealth Games and showed us the silver medals. And I was like, this guy's, you know, he was absolutely my hero at the time. And I'm now really good friends with him. He's now coached down in Millfield, where James Guy swam. Um, so he's now the head coach there. So he's doing really well. But he went to the Beijing Olympics, uh, obviously, as I mentioned, two silver medals at the Commonwealth Games. So as far as swimming goes, he was definitely my first kind of inspiration, my first year. And it was cool for me because I got to meet him. And I remember once we were at the, uh, it was the Scottish Short Course Championships. Must, this must have been like 2000 and like, eight maybe and uh, I made my first ever age group final or something and he came up to me and gave me a pair of the fast skin like full legs and this is when they were just coming out and he was like yep. go put those on and, and, and go for your fight and I was like I was shell-shocked I was like this is the coolest thing ever like my hero just giving me a pair of his racing trunks so um, yeah that was pretty cool for me to kind of not only look up to him but have a bit of contact with him and he always you know, he respected that I was from his first ever club and he really, you know, paid his dues and kind of gave back to us and he would come and see us when he could. And I've tried to do the same thing with the same club and it's cool to kind of fill his shoes in a way and hopefully we can kind of continue this trend and hopefully one day there'll be another couple of swimmers from that small club in the Scottish Borders that, you know, go on to do great things like me and you and have. So it's pretty cool to have him, you know, part of my life. Absolutely, man. That's awesome. I love that story because that's also why I started the podcast, you know, like to get your story out there for young swimmers to hear. And um, I, I love the idea of giving back to a sport that's given us so much, you more so than me. I'm just yeah, a swimming absolutely. coach. I get to make a living out of coaching, but you know, you obviously, mm -hmm. you know, were successful at the highest level. Talk to me about struggles through your age group career, man, because a lot of teenagers do listen to this and they always hear, you know, I speak to world champions, I speak to Olympic gold medalists, and it seems easy at the time. But, you know, as an age group swimmer, were there any sort of struggles that you went through? Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, from a young age, I, as I mentioned, I knew, I knew that I just, I love to compete. But I also knew what my weaknesses were. And um, originally it was... I was I was the skinniest guy. I was so I was tiny, man. I was the smallest guy behind the box. Up until I was about eighteen, I was still the skinniest guy behind the box, and that was always not that it really bothered me, but I knew that because the thing is, when you're younger, there's some kids that are just at that age. It makes such a difference because you could have someone you know same age as you, and he's just he's much taller or he's much mm -hmm. stronger, and it's just the way he's matured, yeah. and you can't really control that. So. You know, some guys are smashing you by like 10 seconds over 200 or whatever, even over 100. It's just because they're just a bit bigger and stronger. Mm. So I thought, I just trusted that, you know, my build and my strength and my height and my power would, would come through hard work. I had to be really, really patient about it all. Um, so I just, I just made sure that I kept up that competitiveness. And, you know, even if there was a guy next to me who was way bigger, and maybe I knew that's, that was the only reason he was going to beat me. I was still going to go head to head with him and I'm going to, you know, work on the areas that I knew I was strong at. Um, so that was a big thing for me is getting my head around the fact that some kids are just at a different stage of the maturity. But as long as you're both working hard, you're both going to do well in the end. It's just you kind of go in at different rates and you definitely catch them up, you know, as you fill out 
as you understand what your strengths are. You, you definitely you, you catch those kids up for sure. But I remember I, I was I was getting beat by like so much at one point, and I was like, I don't understand how how I can improve it, how I can catch these guys up. And there's another thing. I once had a, a talk when I was at some Scottish age group uh, Christmas camp, and um, there was a girl that came in, and she swam for Team GB. Uh, what's her name? Becca Cook, I think it was. She swam 800 freestyle. And uh, she basically put up like a timeline of her improvements. And the way she did it, it was a really good talk, but the way she did it, it was basically like, you know, start swimming here, and then I won this medal, then I won this medal, and then I did yeah. this. And yeah. it just, it made it sound so simple and so easy. And I was like, there's no way I can do it. It's, it's that easy. But as long as you, 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 know, you trust in what you're doing, you, you keep working hard and you understand that like, because when you're younger, you can, the improvements that you see can be huge over like 12 months. The improvements you can see from age 13 to 14 or age 15 to 16 yeah. or even age 18 to 19 can be massive. As you get older, you know, I remember there was times where I hadn't some a personal best time in like five years, you know, but there's times when you're a kid. This is when I was like 20, 23. But when you're a kid, you, you're dropping like 10 seconds yeah. a week. It's, it's crazy. So, you know, I just looked at this. I, at one point, I looked at these guys and I was like, oh man, I don't know how I can ever catch them up. But you do, as long as you focus on what your strengths are and you, and you keep working hard and you, you, you love what you do, then it, it, all, it, it all falls into place if, if you've got the right things, if you're working on the right areas. Man, that's great advice. And uh, I think what you know is awesome about that also is science does back that up, that um, you actually look at, if you look at the progression and the timeline, that those sort of uh, late maturers end up being the ones that do go on to, to, you know, have great success. Not that the early maturers don't have any success, but um, yeah, science yeah. does back it up, mate, that, uh, and you're, you know, proof of it, but that, you know, those younger boys or girls that sort of mature a little bit later, certainly um, whilst they might be disadvantaged at the time at a 14 or 15 year old, if they stick in mm -hmm. it by the time they're what, 22, 23, mate, they're killing it. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, yeah. I feel I actually feel quite fortunate that I matured the way I did. And you know, at the time you you're getting your ass kicked when you're when you're 13. But as long as you trust yourself and you still are enjoying it, and what, at that point it wasn't. It didn't matter if I was winning or not. As long as I was still able to progress and I was still able to put myself in the running to start winning it when I was older, because that's when I wanted to win it. I wasn't bothered about being Scottish champion at 13. I wanted to be you know, world champion at 20 odds, you know, that was, that was my goal. Mate, that's perfect. I love it. You've just pretty much spelled out what I sort of say to my athletes uh, on a daily basis. So I always love yeah. when, when what I'm saying, I hear, you know, coming out of, um, you know, swimmers that, that have been there and done it. 2011. Well, hopefully you're saying the right things then. Hopefully oh, it's the right mate, thing. Yeah. Of course. Of course. It's all about the yeah, sales pitch be. anyway, mate. I, do you know how many coaches, and I'm, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but I've heard some horrendous <laughs> things be said around that I think, oh, you can't say that. I don't agree with it. But they're such great yeah. salesmen, and, and the athletes uh -huh. get right behind them that they, you know, they go out yeah. and they execute and they, and they still you know, perform. Mm. It's all about the sales yeah, pitch. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Hey, 2011, junior European champs. Um, you know, you did pretty well, to say the least. And you got a bronze and a, and a silver medal at that meet. What was that experience like? I mean, you're a young lad. I think we were talking before you were only 17. Yeah, that was, it was awesome for me. Um, 
at that point I was swimming in a club called Warner Baths in Edinburgh, a pretty big club here in Edinburgh. And over the years, they'd had loads of swimmers that had gone on to go to European juniors. And it was like, it was a really cool team to be a part of because it was the first time you got any sort of British swimming kit. And it was like, a, a, it, was a, it was a marker on you kind of making your way up, up to the senior ranks. And so, yeah, that was my first, actually, that was my, so, so you can qualify for two European juniors at, at Great Britain. Mm-hmm. So the, the, I went to one the year before. I think I made a final in the 400 medley and a final in the 200 medley, but didn't do anything special. At that point, I was still really up and coming. Year two, I was kind of finding my groove a bit more. As I mentioned, I was getting a bit stronger, getting a bit more mature. Um, so, yeah, I went to that meet with, 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 uh, you know, with goals that I wanted to maybe get a medal, but that was still going to be a stretch. But that was, a, you know, as a swimmer, sometimes you, you go to a meet and everything just kind of clicks. Yeah. And that was the first time that had ever happened for me. Um, I I remember I swam the I swam the semi-finals of the tuna medley and I went like two one point eight or something. Maybe maybe that was that. Maybe it was slightly slower than that, but it was something like that. And I I think I even like celebrated a little bit in the semi-finals because I was like, damn, that that's a, that's a fast time. Like I didn't think I'd be able to go that fast. So I was buzzing and I just it was just everything was falling into place and. Um, me and my good friend Craig Benson, uh, who's you know dual Olympian for Team GB, that was his first European junior. So I think he picked up a silver medal in the hundred breaststroke. Um, I can't remember what he did in the two hundred, but um, yeah, we were both swimming pretty well. So our coach Laurel Bailey, who was Team GB coach for the open water, um, she she came and flew out. So it was really cool for us to kind of. That was when we realized, you know what, maybe we can go and just do some pretty cool stuff. So it was awesome. It was an outdoor pool. It was the sun was shining. It was it was a really, really good time. But for me, that was the first time I felt that, you know, the hard work was really starting to pay off. Because every time I hit the water, I was feeling good. The, the competitiveness that I had was really showing because I, I, that's when I became a really, really tough racer um, and got my hand on the wall, you know, not first, but I got the medals that I, I'd always kind of dreamed of getting. So for me... That was kind of the first sign of the hard work paying off and me really finding my groove within the sport. And it was definitely kind of catapulted me into, onto the, into the swimming world for me anyway. Well, mate, 2012, you head over to America and accept a scholarship to work with someone who I believe is one of the greatest coaches of all time in Greg Troy. It's funny, I was just doing a, a Mount Rushmore of, of coaches of all time and he's on my Mount Rushmore as one of the top four. I just, I think what he's done is phenomenal 68 olympians no nobody does that i think it's just crazy talk yeah, to me about crazy. your time over there and and how much did you enjoy you know college life and also how much did you learn from the super coach yeah uh that you know the decision to go to florida was definitely the best decision i've ever made as far as far as my swimming career goes um i always knew the basically the way the way it worked out was i was asked the european juniors uh, or no sorry before that I was sat at home and I was like right where do I want to go to university where do I want to train you know as as a senior athlete and it was a, there was a bunch of good places in the UK don't get me wrong but none of them really appealed to me and at this time I, like there's some people that are like proper swim nerds and they know everything about the swimming world I, I was kind of oblivious to really what was going on on the international stage so mm. basically what I did was I googled where the fastest swimmer in the tuna medley trained and who he was and it turned out it was ryan lochte mm-hmm. and i i'd obviously heard who's i heard, heard his name but i didn't know where he trained turned yeah. out he trained at the university of florida and i was like 
man, that'd be pretty cool to go there and train with this guy. Not that he was even on the university team, but me being, you know, not that educated on the, on yeah, the college yeah. system, I was like, I'm going to go there and train with him. And there was a couple of other Brits over there at the time. There was Gemma Spofforth, 100 backstroke, um, ex-world record holder, Steph Proud, Marco Lochran. So there was a few Brits there already. Which So I spoke to them about it. Um, I spoke to Greg Troy. He actually originally turned me down and he was like, you're not, you're not quite fast enough. You've just signed another European, you know, medley swimmer. Um, and then basically my mom had, you know, the majority of a bottle of wine and emailed him back and was mm-hmm. like, you're making a big mistake. Like my yeah. son's going to be great and all this. And she totally, as you said, she's a salesman. She's, 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 she sold it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, right, we'll give him a chance. And that was it. And I, and I flew out there and having never been to America in my life, never even, didn't even visit it. I just went. I just threw everything at it, and it was unbelievable. And uh, you know, the first year, because they swim yards and they train yards, and my turn sucked at the time. It was, you know, I had to learn a lot, and I had to really sharpen things up, which was so good. It was, I was thrown in the deep end, and me like, you know, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to keep up here, you're going to have to really work on your turns and stuff, which was so good for me because the, they were my weakness, and, yeah. and I didn't really know that at the time, but I they really exposed it for me. So training yards and training in that slightly shorter pool at a slightly faster pace really exposed my weaknesses and it helped me really improve them. So that was awesome for me. But yeah, you know, the, mo- the moment you meet Greg Troy, he's a very, he's, he's got a big personality, he's got a big presence on poolside. So um, it was cool to see him. And, you know, as I mentioned, I went, I, would, I went out there thinking I was going to train with Ryan Lochte and there was times where I did get to train with Ryan and, especially as I got older, maybe not so much my first year, but second and third year, started to get pretty close to Ryan and, and, and kind of watching how he was in the pool. And, you know, he's an absolute animal. What, what I loved about the way Ryan trained is he has this switch where he can be fooling around and giggling and cracking jokes. And then it's like, right, the whistle blows and he's off. And he's like so switched on. And so the ability to switch on and off for me turned out to be one of my biggest strengths. And, you mentioned college life, like, you know, it would be Saturday, we'd be, we'd be training so hard as a team, we'd do some crazy Greg Troy sets, some medley set with likes of Conor Dwyer, Peter Van McKay, Ryan Lochte, yeah. myself, Sebastian Rousseau, like, there was so many world-class athletes, and we'd be kicking each other that other's ass in the pool, and then, you know, the session would end, and it'd, the summer would be out, it'd be like 100 degrees Fahrenheit, we go to a football game and I'd totally switch off from the session we just had and I would really enjoy myself and mm. I really did embrace that like American college life and I loved it. And then so slowly I started to have this ability to switch on and off. And for me, it was a great way to blow off steam and just meet people and just totally embrace the whole university life in America. But then knowing that Monday morning switch back on again. And that just it gave me a lot of kind of freedom and and it helped my mindset a lot so yeah working with swimmers like ryan was so beneficial and elizabeth faisal sorry she Mm. was like me and her got really really close and uh we'd always do we'd always be in the end lane do these crazy medley sets together um but she was a really tough trainer so for me going to florida just it exposed me to a whole other level of athlete um, and there was so many of them and I learned so much from them and then obviously you know you've got you've got Greg leading the whole thing coach Troy leading the whole thing so yeah he I learned so much from him um, I learned how to you know stay humble and because his goals for people are so high mm. like my goals as a youngster were never to like 
break a world record or win an Olympic medal. Was like, I just wanted to be in the ballpark of being a world-class swimmer, being one of yeah. the best in the world. You know, so you go there and Troy was telling me all these times that I'm going to be going in like the tuna fly and tuna mm-hmm. and I was like, that's so fast. Like, I'll never be able to do that. But, you know, he keeps you humble, but he also keeps you hungry for, for really um, pushing yourself. So the energy on poolside when you walk in every day is just, it's crazy. Sometimes I walk on the pool when I was younger or when I was training over here and be a bit flat and the coach would be a bit down, but he'd walk off and he'd be whistling and shouting and you know, have his stopwatch and his paper in his hand, he'd be slapping it. It was it was intense, man. It was so intense, but I absolutely thrived in it. And he was tough on us, but I needed that. That's how I work well. If someone is, you know, making sure I'm, you know, working hard and staying in line, that's how I best work. And uh, that's how I best uh kind of improve and stay on track so I learned I mean I could talk about it for hours and hours and hours because I learned so much but it wasn't just Greg that I learned from it was Anthony Nesty, Coach Wilby and all the athletes um, you know we were such a team environment there that we bonded so well we're all on the same on the same wavelength and pushing each other in the same way so the team environment there was probably the biggest thing that I really really enjoyed um you know, being part of something bigger than just yourself within, is that's a fairly individual sport. So when it comes to, you know, competing, mm. um, when it comes to race day, but like the training environment there was you're surrounded by these world-class athletes and just the team camaraderie was unreal. Um, and I excelled in that environment. Well, I'm glad you brought up sort of that team environment and obviously college you know, is all about that. And, and certainly the racing is all about that. And I, I think it's something that, you know, I don't think we certainly here in Australia don't really understand. I think we're getting a, a glimpse of it with the ISL and stuff like that. But how much did you enjoy racing over there? Yeah, what was awesome for the racing side of things was uh, the, the amount of racing that we did. So we have, obviously, they've got the collegiate system over there and you do what's called dual meets um all through you know the first six months until you get to kind of taper time and it's almost like at some points you've got like back-to-back weekends of just getting up and racing and we would never wear racing suits we'd always just wear our briefs so it'd always be really really tough racing and Troy would always work as hard right up to the meet we'd never rest for dual meets Um, but it was just the, the frequency of the races that I looking back now didn't really realize at the time, but looking back now, that's definitely was how I was became such a tough racer and such a clutch racer was because of how often I was doing it. Every every Saturday we'd be standing up and we were racing 400 medley short course. We'd have like five five races a day. It was crazy. It was like the the amount of racing we did, you know, it definitely helped me. So I loved that. I loved just having the ability to stand up behind a bar being tired from the race you just did, you're in your briefs, you're not rested, but you still got to go eyeball to eyeball. You got to race the guys next to you. And, and that's when the team environment came into it. You know, you, it's like staggered lanes. So it's like Florida and then another team, Florida, another team, Florida, another team. So it's like four of your guys versus four of their guys. Yeah. And I just loved that. I just thought it was so raw and just so old school. I just like, it was it was powerful, man. It was uh, yeah, it was really cool. The energy at those dual meets were like crazy. And sometimes you go to meets over here, and it's just a bit flat. It's you know you've got real long distance events, which you know the energy is sometimes low. But over there, it was like you got fans in there going crazy. You got the parents all flying in to see them. So the the, the dual meets over there, the racing there was unreal. And then 
you know, as you as you go ahead, you got your conference, so the SEC for us, mm-hmm. and you have the NC2A Championships, which is the national championships, and you know, because because you're racing for not just yourself, you're racing for team points, yeah. and it, the only thing at the end of the day that matters is the team standing. So, you know, you could go there and you get first in one race, and then you could get dead last in the other two. And you know you're a valuable swimmer, but you got to be scoring in all three point, all three mm-hmm. races. So yeah. you you get behind the blocks, and it's not just about getting a personal best. It's about you know scoring points for the team, which I think was really powerful, and um, and, and it helped me. You know, you're you're racing for something bigger than yourself, and that's something I took away from it. And it's something I kind of think about now is whatever I'm doing. You know, if I can apply myself into some sort of bigger thing than just me then I, I, I seem to do a lot better at it and I seem to enjoy it a lot more and just bring, bringing in other people to whatever you're doing for me is, 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 is awesome and something I really took away from, from training and living in America. Well, mate, there's no doubt you definitely loved it. You're still wearing the Gator shirt uh, today. You yeah, see you've, always re- you've always got a rep, bro. Always got a rep. <laughs> well, I just you thought I'd throw it out there. Just in case. Well, yeah. some of the Aussie fans might not know what that shirt is. So for anyone who doesn't know, that is a, a Florida Gators shirt. Yeah. I like it, though. I do like it. Mate, 2014, massive year for you. Let's get into it because, you know, you had the opportunity p- to perform in front of, you know, a home crowd at the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. Um, and you got a fairy tale finish in the, in the 400 IM winning gold. You also got a silver in the 200 IM. Uh, I think you got a medal in, in a relay as well, did you? Oh no! Individual. Yeah, yeah. Four by, four by two hundred uh, freestyle really was uh, was the third medal. Yeah. So, mate, what a moment for your career, and I guess um, that decision to go and, and train in Florida as well, you know, seems to have paid off by this point because all that work and all that effort and all the training and all the you know the meets that you're going to and all that experience has has led you to this point, and you've sort of, I guess, shown off all the work you've been doing. Yeah, for sure. So that was, uh, I think that was my, must be my second or third year at Florida. And I'd been racing, I'd started to then start racing pretty well, mm. short course yards. The good thing about Florida and Greg Choi uh, in particular was he had a real big focus on international swimming. I just said, six day Olympians. He was, you know, one of the best college coaches, but he always made sure that we focused on our long course swimming too. So going into that meet, I knew I had a good short course season. So I was excited to see where it was going to go long course. And yeah, like I had goals to make a medal, get win a medal um, in the 400 medley. And what was cool, what was a cool situation for me was that um, I trained with a guy called Sebastian Rousseau over in Florida. And that summer before that, he'd gone 411 something in the 400 medley at the US Open. And I was going head-to-head with him every single day in training. So I kind of knew if I was able to, you know, perform on a day, I could kind of be round about that mark. Um, so, yeah, going in, I had some pretty good aspirations for myself, but I'd never done anything in that international field. So, um, yeah, I was, I, was, I was really looking forward to it. So, yeah, going into that meet, I had these quiet goals of mine. I wasn't really talking about it too much. And, yeah, I mean, I'd never experienced an international meet like it at that point. Mm-hmm. And the fact it was a home games was so special. So, yeah, um, I actually signed the 400 freestyle day one, which was kind of just like a bonus event for me. Um, I think I went like 347, uh, maybe got sixth in the final. So I knew I was swimming well. Then the next day I stepped up for the medley 
against Sebastian Rousseau, who I was training well with. Tommy Fraser Holmes mm-hmm. um, is a legend. You guys obviously know who he is. Yep. Um, poor Tommy, though. He had the tuna freestyle the same night. And as much as you know, I'm proud to say I won it, it won the 400. If he didn't have the tuna freestyle, it'd be different. But tough, tough luck, Tommy. You know, <laughs> he had the double, I didn't. I was ready to go. So, you know, maybe next time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. You know, I swam, I swam actually I swam 4.11 in the morning. Um, and I was like, wow, that was pretty sweet. Um, so I just thought, right, just do the same thing at night. You've probably won this. And at the 200 mark in the evening, I was two and a half seconds slower than what I was in the morning. I don't know what happened. Mm. I was just went out like chilling. I think I turned seventh at the 200, um, which made for a pretty exciting race for the spectators, for the fans, which, yeah. you know, the majority of them were Scottish. So it was pretty cool for them. You obviously knew my strengths. I knew, I knew most of the field. You know, Travis Mahoney on my right, Roberto Pavoni on my left. A couple of Scots were in there, as I mentioned, Tommy and Sebastian. So I basically knew the whole field, and I knew that I had the best second half of everybody. So there was a point at 3.50, I turned on the breaststroke, and I was like, oh, man, I don't think I've won this, but I'm maybe can get, I can maybe get third, maybe get second. Mm. And I told myself that for like a half second, and I did my breaststroke pull-out, and I was like, Nah, man, you, you, the whole crowd is cheering you. You can't just get third. So I was yep. like, right, let's go. And I did some crazy fast breaststroke split. And then it was me and Sebastian, last hundred. Tommy was quietly coming up for both of us at this point in the freestyle because his freestyle was really good then. Mm. I, I always has been. Um, but yeah, I knew the last 50 was me and Sebastian Rousseau. And as I mentioned, I trained with this guy. I knew him so well. And no offense to Seb, but I knew he was going to die off that last 50. So I just had to keep going. I'm breathing away to him, but I'm breathing to my teammates. And I just see these Scottish flags thrown in the air. And I'm like, let's go. Let's go. So, um, yeah, it was awesome. And to to get my hand on the wall and have not only my whole family there, ex-teammates, you know, high school friends, but like everybody watching at home as well. It was so cool to kind of get my hand on the wall first and, and win that medal there. And and as and it's almost like when I spoke about European juniors, when you dive in, it's just it all clicks for you. Yeah. You know, after I won that gold that gold medal, I was like, right, I'm I'm hot right now, I'm swimming well. I had no doubt that I was gonna do well in the other events. You know, I didn't know if I was gonna get two more medals, but I knew that, you know, I was gonna I'll I'll be swimming a PB every time I touch water, which which is what happened, you know, and it's just one of those meets where it all falls into place. And what was so cool for me was it was a home games. It was, I think it was my second international meet. I'd been to World Champs the year before, but I just made a final. Mm. So it, was, it kind of catapulted me onto the world stage. So to do that at home games and win the medals that I won and even just post the times that I posted, I was like, yeah. I kinda, that's when I kind of felt that I'd arrived um, on the world stage. So as I mentioned before, my goals as a kid were never to win an Olympic gold medal or break a world record. As much as that would be awesome. For me, it was like I just wanted to be in the in the running for one of the best swimmers in the world in my discipline and so to kind of do that in front of my home crowd was pretty unbelievable and then you know fast forward into the end of the meet i we've won silver in the four by two behind the aussies and we've had a good tradition of winning silver we won silver the two times before that so it's cool to keep up the tradition and then i've got two in a medley and that point i was like i was on cloud nine man i was loving it um I walked out in my kilt um, 
against Daniel Tranter, the Australian, who ended up winning it. But I walked yep. out there being like, man, I could get last and I wouldn't care. I was just soaking it up. I was so, and I was like getting the crowd going and it was like a boxing match, bro. Yeah. It was, and it's like the scaffolding, the, the, the stands were on, they were stamping their feet and the energy in there was crazy. And just to hear you, the whole crowd chanting your name was like pretty special. And then ended up getting sober in that race too against Chad the Clough. Um, and Daniel Tranter. So, yeah, it's overall, probably, I want to say the best, like the best experience, like as far as competitions go. Mm. You know, the Olympic Games is obviously just a tier above that. But like the overall experience of being at home games, first coming games, winning the medals, having the performances I did, where like overall it was a pretty probably the most special meet I've ever been to for me personally. Man, absolutely. I think I um, had Hannah Miley on not long ago and, and she was describing her, you know, um, Commonwealth Games there as well. And I was getting goosebumps just listening to it. Like, obviously, this is something yeah. that I personally will never really, you know, feel those sort of vibes. So, uh, you know, it was just great to hear those words. And a little known fact that uh, I actually used to coach Daniel Tranter when he was about eight or nine. Oh, and I was like a 15-year-old nice. kid just starting to just starting to coach and he was um this little scrawny kid in in like bronze squad but um and if you had said to me then do you think this kid will win a commonwealth games cup no what would i have known i was 15 anyway but um <laughs> he definitely he definitely went on to it, achieve some great stuff so yeah little known fact yeah he was quick it was a good summer man you earned that race it was good I have no credit for that, by the way. I always make sure I... With, <laughs> no, I, take some credit, man. Take a little bit. Just a little bit. No, no, none. Zero. Um, mate, how much fun was winning the, the gold with your teammates in 2015? World champs in Kazan. And I, I sort of want to have a little, um, you know, flow on effect for the next few questions of this because it's around the time you guys really started to do well in terms of the relays and... Uh, in terms of Team GB and really just stamping, you know, your authority on that, um, you know, four by two, especially in the world. Yeah. So what was cool about seeing that relay come together was Commonwealth Games, the Scottish guys got second and the, the English got uh, bronze. So that's pretty solid already. And you've got kind of these up and coming swimmers, Duncan Scott and James Guy, who are, you're seeing little bits of okay these guys could be pretty big studs in the 200 freestyle mm. scene you've got you've got experienced swimmers like Calm Jarvis and uh, Robbie Rennick so Robbie Rennick has been like the leading power for this 4x2 he's the reason we all kind of believed that we could do something because we had that guy leading it for years he just didn't have the other guys around him all the time so then we slowly started piecing together in our heads. We're like, you know, we could be a, we could be a striving force um, in, the, in the 4x2. So, yeah, it was pretty tense because um, it was actually, there was definitely more than four of us that could have been on the team. So you, we were in a unique position where, you know, the guys in the morning could easily be the guys in the night. So we're, yep. we're, James Guy had just won gold in the 200 freestyle, mm. which was huge for us. Like the momentum we got from him, winning that medal and beating Sun Yang and beating Lochte and beating McAvoy, you know, we were like, wow, we've got another stud now. We've got Robbie, who we know is going to be clutch. Now we've yeah. got Jimmy, who's the hottest tuna freestyle in the world right now. Let's go. We can do this. So, yeah, I swam 146-0 in the morning. In the, in, and I was like, yes, I'm in the final. So I, I booked my spot in the final. and then, But we knew that we had, we, it was, we had a lot of big dogs we had to knock off. You know, we 
had some of the Russians were clutch swimmers. We had the Americans. They've got Lochte. You know, you don't know what he can do. Mm-hmm. You know, we, the Australians, like there was so many. But we knew we had Jimmy in the end. And as Jimmy was having one of those meets where every time he dove in, he was on fire. You yeah. know, and I was kind of have. I didn't know at the time yet because I hadn't swam that many events yet. But I was like, I knew I was swimming pretty well. So we all really believed and we had these standout guys that were all kind of pieced together. So um, I, I led off first, which isn't my preferred. I would much prefer to go somewhere in the middle. We knew Jimmy was going to the end. Jimmy was begging to go last. Um, he loves going last. Um, but I, I was going up against, um, I think it was Danny Isatoff and Ryan Lochte and I think Cal McAvoy. Um, so I was like, I'll... I'm not two in a medley. I'm a 400 IMR. Like, why am I racing these guys? Like, <laughs> yeah. This is crazy. So it was it was a lot of pressure for me. So I think I went like 147.0 to touch, which is it was a it was a personal best time. Obviously, I was 146.0 in the morning, but that's from a moving start. Yep. Um. So you know, I did I did my job. I would, the reason I was first is because they could trust that I was going to put in a good performance no matter what. So having to go up against Ryan Lochte, which for me was pretty cool because I trained with the guy. He was my yeah. teammate at the time. Um, so yeah, I put in a good performance, and then we knew, we, and then Robbie one forty five zero, Jarvis were right in it. The Americans are ahead of us, but I knew the guy that I had going last because I'm I trained in America, so I knew all the Americans pretty well. And I, Jimmy Jimmy guy dove in, and I'm like, we won this man, we've got this in the bag. I knew Jimmy was going to put in a crazy time, and I, I can't remember what split he did, but he went a really fast split. Like to the to the to the standard of his individual race, mm. so yeah, for us to win that, you know, for us as a nation was really cool. Us as a as a team, like the whole not just the relay team but the whole British team were like, yeah, we can be a powerhouse in this event for a while because we we knew Duncan in the morning was gonna be he was gonna keep improving. Jimmy yeah. Guy was the hottest tuna fish on the world and he was like twenty years old. So we're like, like we can see a future here, and it was cool to see Robbie Rennick because he'd been. Kind of a lone wolf in the, in those in the relays for a while. He always been he'd been world class, but he didn't quite have the guys around him yet. And never quite fell into place with them. So for him, you know, that was really cool for him. If you ask him, that's probably this, this is his favorite race because all the hard work over the years and him just continuing to try and you know lead this four by two relay. And, and he wanted, he led it to gold for sure. So mm. it was really cool for us to kind of and I and I absolutely love relays. Yeah, swam so many relays in the states. Um, at these dual meets, at NC2As, you know, as I said, the team environment. So I always knew that I was going to step up when, when the relay came. Um, as much as I love an individual race, the relays uh, towards my end of career were the, you know, the, the, the driving factor of my success, really. So um, I love being part of, a relay, part of a relay team. So to win gold was so sick. It was so cool. And the Aussie boys were on the podium with us as well. It was, it was a good time. So for us, it kind of solidified the fact that we can be you know, uh, a, a team to contend with in the 4 by 2 for years to come because we had such a young team. Mm. Um, other than Robbie, um, you know, all, all the other guys were, they were fresh and they were still improving. So it was pretty good for our confidence as a, as a nation to know that we can be, we can be good at this for a while. And, and we've kind of shown that. Now, mate, obviously you guys go on to have a great tussle with the U.S. again in 2016. I'll get to that in a second. I'm interested, however, I've, I've never really asked this question. How much effort and energy goes into those relays? Because clearly you guys, as you know, you won gold. You go on to be super competitive the next year as well. 
how much energy goes into that? What, how, you know, how often are you doing, you know, practice around that sort of stuff and things like that? What, what I think we did really well and what we still do really well in the 4x200 is that we all understand that we all have a completely different role to play. Yep. So um, Jimmy Guy is going to be a clutch somewhere at the end. Duncan Scott is going to drop some crazy time somewhere in the middle. We always need some guy at the start that's going to be solid. We don't need to have the fastest guy at the start. We just need to be in the running because we know we've got clutch swimmers coming up. So we all we all understand our role. Like I didn't have to stand up there and have my hand on the wall first and beat, beat Lockty and McAvoy. That wasn't my job. My job was to get us in the running, keep us, keep us up there. We don't want to be too far back, but it wasn't the end of the world if we weren't top three because we knew that our other guys were coming in. So we all, what we did well was we understood when it came to race day, we understood we all got, we've all got different roles here. You know, it's not about who's the fastest out for It's who we all need to, to perform at the top of our level personally. Mm. So for that reason, we, I don't remember doing that much work training wise because we all just, we all trusted that we're doing, we're all doing the right thing. We're all understanding our role within the relay. When it came to holding camps and stuff, we would do a little bit of changeovers the good thing about the 4 by 2 is, for the most time, the changeovers aren't make or break. You know, yeah. you just got to be safe and you got to get in the water safely and confidently, knowing you've not done a false start. And saying that, the morning of the 4 by 2 in Rio, I think I was 0 0.01, which <laughs> is, no, you don't need to be doing that stuff, man. Like, yeah. 0 0.2, 0 0.3 in a 4 by 2 that is comfortable. I don't know what I did wrong, but man. It gives me the fear thinking back how close I was to messing it up. And I was like the most experienced relays over there because of my time in the States. But yeah, what we did really well as a team, and we still do, I think, is understanding that we've got different roles. Like, you know, we've got Duncan and Jimmy who are, they're going neck and neck all the time. And, you know, there's an argument, and why don't you put Duncan last? It's like, because Duncan knows that if he can drop a 144 in the middle of the relay, that's going to you know, catapult up, us up to first place or in the top three. And then we yeah. know that Jimmy's going to be clutch in the end. Like, it doesn't matter where they go. They just know what they need to do as an individual on that, in that team performance. Mm. So it's a combined effort. Um, it's not like a best average time. It's like, right, you need to be reliable at the start. You need to be, you need to get a race home at the end. You guys in the middle, you got to do your job as well. So, um, yeah, we all understood what our role was within the team. And I, I think that's why it kind of gelled together so well. Mate, Rio Olympics, enter the greatest swimmer of all time in Michael Phelps into this relay battle. Um, he swims for the US uh, in that relay and they end up grabbing gold this time around. You guys got the silver. Do you think he was a difference in that? I know looking at his splits, you know, he, he still swam pretty quick, but, it, you know, he wasn't the fastest in that relay. Or do you think, you know, because you guys actually did faster at the Olympics than you had done the, the previous year. So what do you think was, was the difference this time around? Yeah, I think that, I mean, if you look at the US team that they had uh, the year before, I think the only two returning swimmers were, were uh, Ryan and Connor Dwyer. I'm not sure, yeah. I don't even know if Tony Haas was in the relay the year before. So yeah, they had, they had Ryan and Connor again. But they also had two other new guys. They had Michael Phelps, MP, the GOAT. Tony Haas was swimming real quick at that point. He was kind of, you know, solidifying himself as a, as a world-class senior freestyler. So they definitely upped their game when it came to who they had on the team. But I wasn't intimidated by the fact they had Michael Phelps. I didn't care. You know, well, first of all, I knew he was going to go last. I knew Jimmy was going to go last. So that's Jimmy's problem. 
man. Yeah. I don't, you know, that's James Guy's problem. Yeah. I knew I had to take down Lochte. And he dove in about two years in front of me. So I knew I just had to try and catch him or just stay, you know, stay in my role. But it didn't, it, that's the thing. It doesn't matter who we're racing, man. It doesn't matter. We knew, you know, you can sit down and work on paper. And, and some of our coaches did. And go, okay, you maybe, unless the U.S. have a shocker, they probably won it. But you guys can get silver. So, and I'm like, I don't need to know any of this rubbish like don't tell me your predictions for the race i i don't even care who i'm racing at the time it's like it yeah. doesn't phase me it doesn't i'm not going to swim any faster if i'm swimming against phelps i'm not going to swim any slower if i'm swimming against phelps is i'm just focused i know my job in the relay mm. and i need to just execute that i need to try and go 146 low because that's where i can be if i go 145 that's awesome if i go 147 then i didn't show up in a day but i knew that i just knew my job so it didn't matter that the U.S. had Phelps. It didn't matter that Lockley dove in two meters ahead of me. It was I still had to get in and do my job. And going back to how, why our relay has been so successful over those couple of years is because we understand that we've got a job to do. And we understand the ability that we've got and the ability that the rest of our team have. And we trust each other. And, and that's kind of how we, how we got it done on the day. Mm. What is that Olympic experience like? You said before that it was probably one of, you know, the best experience you've had. Obviously, Glasgow was probably the pinnacle in terms of, you know, not just the results, but being, as you said, at home with, with all the family around. But Rio was obviously special for you as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and at that point, so I'd been to 2013 World Champs, 14 commies, 15 World Champs. For me, I started to feel like I was becoming fairly comfortable and a fairly not a senior athlete but I'm not super experienced but I had I'd had a taste for that kind of level of competition before but the Olympics is just a bigger thing man you've got yeah. you're a part of a bigger team it's not just a swim team it's the whole team GB or the whole Australian team it's like you're you're part of something even bigger than just a swim team so for me going back I thrive in situations where I'm doing something that's bigger than just me so it's like the whole nation is watching you you are part of the whole team GB it was a real special thing but what was cool was what was so enjoyable about the Olympics and this kind of touches on the, the Australian team is like I was starting to become real good friends with other swimmers and the cool thing about training in Florida which I had just been doing before that was as you said we you know Troy Greg Troy is 68 Olympians so I was walking around poolside and I knew more guys on poolside at Olympic Games than I did over here at the Scottish Nationals yeah. because the team that I trained with in Florida was so versatile. And the, the athletes that I'd met along the way, you know, at the, the, the Commonwealth Games and World Championships, I was starting to become really pally with them. So I had so much fun there, like just warm downs, warm ups around the village, like high fiving the Australian boys, being yo, what's up? And it was really, really chill for me. And the, just the environment of the Olympics, I felt so comfortable there, even though I'd never been in an environment like it. But like, you know, looking back on, you know, the, the racing of the Olympics, I was, you know, uh, achieving a dream I didn't think was ever really possible to win a gold, win, sorry, to win a medal at the Olympics. But then the whole, the whole uh, experience in total was way more than I thought it would be. Like the village for me, the village environment was unreal. You know, you're all, you're, you're in this little, village i guess this little enclosure with these high-rise buildings a, a gym and a food food hall and stuff but and you're you're surrounded by athletes from all across the world mm. that are all there for different disciplines and they all look different and they do different things and they eat different things and you but you're all there for the same reason 
So you yeah. all have this unique unwritten bond or you don't need to address it. You're, you're all there because you're Olympians. It's like the coolest VIP club in the world, you know? Yeah. So you go to the food hall and you, it's not like high school where you sit with your friends and they sit with their friends. It's like one day I was sat next to the US swimming team. Uh, one day I was sat next to the men's basketball team and then Kenyan running team and Zimbabwe. Well, it, was, it was so cool. Everyone was like so eager to uh, just so okay with like saying hi and getting to know each other because we're all there for the same reason. We're all part of this cool club. So it didn't matter who you were because we were all at that point, we were all equal. Some of us had, you know, Olympic medals and Olympic world record, world records and stuff, but it didn't matter at the time. You just say, you see, you see, you see, you say vote, you're like, yo, what's up? And you see Kevin Durant, you're like, yo, what's up? And it's like, it's, it's okay to do that. And I was like blown away by how, friendly and how on the same level everybody was and then we all went out and we did our stuff and we kicked ass and we won medals for our country and uh, the, the whole experience was way bigger than I thought it was going to be um, and as I said I felt like I was an experienced athlete and I, I did feel like that when it came to swimming but within the village I was like this is this is something I've never experienced and I never will experience again so it's pretty cool. Have you got any good uh, athlete village stories? Obviously, um, PG ones that we can we can talk about on yeah, here. Yeah, I've, I've got I've got a lot, but I'll keep it short. Keep it. So one of the cool things, and I mentioned him before, was Usain Bolt. So he's like probably the highest. Uh, he was probably the most famous athlete there. And some of the big athletes don't actually stay in the village. The US men's basketball team didn't actually stay in the village. But Bolt, he loves it, man. He loves yeah. the attention. And we're walking through the middle of the village one day and I can hear this music blasting from a balcony. And I'm like, who on earth is doing that? And I look up and it's Usain Bolt on his balcony, just dancing, man. Just, <laughs> just shirt off, just running shorts on, blasting some Jamaican tunes, man. It was so cool. And I was like, that's pretty sick. Uh, but yeah, so being around those athletes was pretty cool. But what I loved about the Australian team, so obviously Commonwealth Games, we got pretty... Uh, pretty good friends with the Australian boys and then you know world champs were on the podium with them so at that point we're, I'm pretty good friends with like with Travis Mahoney um, Tommy Fraser Holmes uh, James Magnuson and stuff so we were pretty pally so the second week when we're like celebrating celebrating all the hard work we put in mm -hmm. um, I was like in the Australian block like playing like beer pong with the Australian team <laughs> it was really cool that we were able to like really just gel that well so I always felt very welcomed in the Australian team. So it was cool to kind of, you know, be there with the British boys and Team GB, but also being able to mingle and enjoy the experience with a lot of other athletes from across the world. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty cool. So um, it was pretty cool to be able to kind of gel with the other teams like that. So, yeah, loads of cool stories. But the big thing for me um, was that everyone was so eager to like say say hello to one another and get mm. to know each other because we're all there for the same reason to compete at the highest level for our country and do everybody proud and that was pretty special to kind of realize that when you walk in the village and how do you go beer pong are you a good beer pong partner i'm good because i lived in the states for um for five years but so i'll tell you what the team was so the aussie boys tommy frazier holmes yep travis mahoney James Magnuson, and then you had that open water swimmer, Jared. Jared Port. Second name. Yeah, Jared Port. That was your team, and I knew that was a pretty solid team. My <laughs> team was uh, Yain Lloyd, 200 specialist, 200 medley specialist from Team GB, James Guy, 
And I love James Guy, but he can't drink beer very well. <laughs> Adam P.E., the champion of champions, and then me. So I kind of knew the Aussie boys maybe had a stronger drinking team than we did. <laughs> but yeah, we were, we were having fun. I think we lost. I think we lost. But I held the team on my back for once. They were all better swimmers than me, but I was a better beer pop player. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was just so fun to be able to like hang with everybody and be on such a level playing ground and everybody understanding that we're at the Olympic Games. Like this is something special. We're, so we're making as many memories as we could. And so for me, it's awesome to kind of look back and all, all those little silly moments we had after we were done racing. It was cool. I'll have to check in with Tommy, mate, and uh, just see what the results were. I'm sure he does remember it very well. So I'll have to text him tomorrow <laughs> and just say. There's, there's photo evidence of it. There's picture <laughs> evidence. It's pretty good. <laughs> Mate, now we'll get to the retirement in a moment, but uh, I wanted to first just ask, how long before 2018 on the Gold Coast did you know that you wanted to hang up the togs? Um, it was about three months before, three months before, um, I kind of made a decision. I was contemplating it and I thought, you know, I can either wait to the end of the competition and depending on how I do, I make a decision. Or I can make it now and just give it everything I've got for these last three months. Um, and that's what I chose to do. So for me, it was like, I didn't want the decision to be made because of the results I had. Yeah. Because then it could go on forever. You know, if, if, if you swim well, you're like, I'll keep going. Or if yeah. you don't swim well, you're like, ah, oh, no, I, I think I've got it next year. Mm-hmm. It can be a kind of a dangerous, so you just continue to go and go and go. At least that's what I thought anyway. But I thought, right. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to, to, um, to, to, to do what I've done at such a young age. So I was like, right, if I make the decision now, then no matter what happens, I'll be done. So that's kind of, the decision was made three months beforehand. Where did that decision come from? As you said, you're still pretty young. I think you're 24. So what led you to that decision? Uh, the, the, the reason I wanted to stop at that age was... I, I ticked off all the boxes as far as results, which was, I was in a very fortunate position that I could say that at such a young age. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to do, I wanted to be good at a lot of different things and have success in loads of different avenues and have career in loads of different industries and stuff. So for me, it was like, I'm in this very, very unique position and I've done very, very well at something at such a young age. Why don't you just check that box and say you did it and then, do the same thing the next 10 years, be great at something else, and the next 10 years, be great at something else. So that was yeah. kind of my mindset. You know, for me, like, one was enough. One Olympic Games was enough. One Commonwealth champion was enough. Like, you know, I, I was writing down my goals the next four years, and I was like, right, do the same as I did last time. <laughs> do the same as I did last Like, you know, I was in a unique position that I could say yeah. that. Yeah. And for me, I was like, that's not enough to keep me going. Like, I want... All my goals, I want them to be for the first time or to be brand new, you know. So chasing the same thing for me, it was, I always felt like I, I was, it wasn't enough for me. So that's kind of the decision was made because I was really lucky or really fortunate to be in a position where I could say I've achieved these great things at such a young age and then go on to do, hopefully, another, another handful of cool things in my life. Maybe, and again, we'll get to the, the games in a second, but did you have one eye on the future when you were making this decision? Did you start to think, okay, well, this is maybe where I could go? Or were you just say one foot in front of the other, I'm going to get through these three months, go to Com Games, smash it, do my best, and then after it, stuff it, we'll see where we're at. 
So, yeah, I had one eye on the future, and I thought I had this great plan of what I was going to do. Turns out I didn't know what I was talking about. I was, um, so I, want, I, I wanted to be an event manager, and I don't know where this, um, I don't know where this came from, but I was like, I want to be an event manager. This is a good idea. So in the back of my head, I said, like, that's what I'll do when I stop. And what I love about the transition from elite sport into the next stage of your career is that you know, there was struggles. There was a lot of struggles because then I realized I don't actually want to be an event manager. That's not yeah. my calling at all. I just wanted to have something to say I was going to go for that. So in the space of two years, basically did a bunch of I worked in hospitality. I, I you know I did motivational speaking. I did event management. You know, I did all these different things. And what was cool about that was I figured out what I didn't want to do. You know, so I kind of checked. Okay, I don't want to do that. I want. I don't want to do that. And it made me think. Well, what what do you really want to do? Um. So that so and now I'm at the point where I know what I'm doing and I'm enjoying it and I'm loving it. I'm you know running my own business, doing motivational speaking in schools you know, doing a bit of open water coaching and kind of still being involved within the swimming world. But yeah, it was, for me, it was quite funny that I thought I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And it yeah. was only until I, you know, stripped my identity of as, as an athlete and put that behind me and then, right, right I'm going to do this and tried it. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. Man. But it was really, I love the transition and it's really hard, but it's definitely good to have an idea of what you want to do. Yeah. If that idea is totally wrong, that's okay. But if it's right, you know, if you keep going, do that. But it's always good to have some sort of plan, you know, because you're stripping yourself of this huge identity. You know, you're, you know exactly what you're doing. I was such a confident swimmer because I could swim my eyes closed. You know, I, when it came to a race, I was in my element. I was comfortable. Even though there was really high pressure situations, I was used to it. Yeah. And then suddenly you're doing things that you're not used to. So you've got to relearn all these things. But what's been really interesting for me is, when I was picking out what I want to do, it wasn't so much what I want to do as you know what, what are the things I was good at and enjoyed in swimming that I can transfer into the next stage of my career. So, and I'm writing my CV and I'm like, I can't just say, oh hey, I was a really fast swimmer, you know, <laughs> hire me. It's not that simple. So I was like, right, what was I good at other than swimming up and down the pool? What is it I did day to day in my training, my racing, and my lifestyle that was that led me to do well in swimming? And it was. The commitment, the hard work, working in a team, you know, thriving in a team environment, being a, a leader. And I was like, right, if I can transfer those skills into whatever I'm doing now, I'm going to love it and I'm going to be good at it. And that's kind of the driving force around what I'm doing now is picking out. So I'm still basically working mentally the way I was working as an athlete, mm. but doing a completely different thing. And for me, it's, it's, it's paying off pretty well now. Mate, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. Um, well, and I'll, I want to double down on that again in a second once we get through Com Games and just see exactly sort of what you're getting up to at the moment. But yeah, we've talked yeah. about it enough now. 2018 Com Games, your finale in terms of your swimming career, competing for Scotland one last time. How special was that meet for you? Um, you know, you came away with two bronze medals with the boys in the relays, finishing on the podium. But also, you know, you mentioned there just the camaraderie that you had with obviously, you know, the English team, but also the Aussie team. So it must have been a pretty fun meet for you as well. Yeah, it was so fun. And one of the funnest things about it was, as I mentioned before, when I'm writing down my goals for the season, it's like, for me, it has to be something I've never done before. So obviously, I was going to my second games. I'd won gold four years and four and two silver. So I could have had my goals as doing the same thing. Yeah. But I thought, 
why don't you make your goals bigger than just the medal? So for me, my goal for my said Commonwealth Games was to be try and be more of a leader and, and embrace the, the environment of being at this world-class meet with these world-class athletes and these world-class teammates. So I wanted to play a bigger role than just a swimmer winning medals. I wanted to, you know, some of these guys were pretty young that we had in the team. It was their first time, so I was like, right, I want to be a leader for them, make them comfortable, make them just enjoy this experience as much as they can because I've always loved it. So I was trying to be more than just a swimmer, but more just a, the teammate that I wanted to be was bigger, almost like a captain in a way. Um, I wanted to try and share the love and, sh- and make this experience for everybody in the team more than just winning the medal. So for me, you know, it didn't matter if I won any medals at that point, but I, I was lucky enough that I did, and I was involved in a couple of relays, which was so fun, and I still you know, put in a good performance in my tuna medley individual event. So performance-wise, yeah, I was super happy with what I did. Two more, two more Commonwealth medals, that's fantastic. But for me, it was like, you know, helping the people around me get the best out of their Commonwealth Games experience, whether it was the first one or the third one, you know, trying to enhance the experience for everybody was, that was my main goal. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, it, it gave me such a, it gave me a completely different purpose than four years before. So for me, it suddenly became a new experience for me. It was, I had a new, a new role, I had a new purpose within the team. And for me, it worked out really well because it made me super comfortable and I was never too nervous about my swim because I knew that I was there for more than just winning the medal. Um, so it was awesome. And yeah, and I, I obviously my first comedy games, I was it was a home games for me, but I was really close with the Australian team at this point. It was a home games for them. So I knew how I knew the feeling they were getting when they were coming out to the box. Yeah. And I'm like, man, <laughs> they must be feeling awesome right now because yeah. it's so cool. So it was cool and, and it's such a big Swimming is such a big thing in the show. So the swimming fans were unreal. The the level of competition was unreal. So it checked all the boxes for me as as a as as a, a a stage for racing, you know. And and the Australian fans and the whole Australian team were so fun to kind of get along with, and they put on a real good show. So it was awesome to finish it in Australia because, as I said, you know, if there was any team that I got on well with the most. It was the Aussie. It was the Aussie team. So mm. to finish it, you know, to have my first one at my home games, and then to finish it, I almost like I felt it was like my second home. You know, I was <laughs> yeah. like, these are my guys. They're putting on a show and they're kicking ass. So it was really cool to finish it off there for sure. Now, mate, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you say you're a little bit lost there in terms of where you were heading and what you wanted to do in life. But I feel like you were on the right track from the 2018 Commonwealth Games because you say there you wanted to become a leader amongst the group. You wanted to, you know, really um, take on those leadership roles. And now you're looking into, you know, obviously you're doing some open water coaching you mentioned there and, and doing some speaking with some schools. Do you think that was the beginning of that? It seems like you, you definitely are a leader in, in terms of the way you carry yourself and wanting to help people and wanting to give back. Yeah, for sure. I think that like, at the time, I didn't realize that maybe this is going to help shape my future career because I was focused on it, me trying to get something out of it at the time. Yeah. But definitely the way I, it definitely stemmed from my time in America, you know, being in that team environment and having leaders there like Greg Troy and realizing, you know, the back of my mind, maybe I would like to be a leader like that in some way. It's, it's definitely started to stem from those situations, those, those, those big meets where I tried to be more than just a swimmer behind the blocks. You know, I wanted to be a, a team player. It definitely stemmed from there. And, and now, that, and as I said, I kind of picked up what I was good at 
as an athlete, what I enjoyed and what I got a kick out of and gave me purpose. And I've tried to apply that into, into my, my next career. And it's definitely stemmed from the swimmer, being, being a swimmer, and being the swimmer that I was, being the, the teammate that I was, has definitely helped me shape this, ne this next step in my career, which is really cool because what it does is it doesn't make the two careers feel a million miles away. There's yeah. so many similarities and, and doing a little bit of open water coaching, but the main thing is I run these motivational workshops for kids and a lot of the time they're not swimming related at all. The idea is that like, if you can think the way I was thinking as an athlete, if you can think like that now, you're going to find so much purpose and whatever you do, whether you want to be an artist or a, an athlete or a lawyer or a doctor or whatever it is, if you can kind of have the same mindset that I have now and that I learned from swimming, then you're going to love what you're doing and you're going to be really successful at what you do. And that's kind of the ethos of it. And that's the way I thought as an athlete towards the end mm. is the way I think now as, you know, a business owner and as someone that's kind of taking the next step into the next stage of their career. Mate, I love it because I think as a coach, um, one of my biggest sales pitches in terms of why swimmers should stay in it through their teenage years and, and, and go through that is because I do think, as you said, it teaches all those things. It teaches commitment. It, it teaches, um, you know, to stick to something and to try and achieve goals. It teaches people to be leaders amongst a, a group and things like that. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really important to, to kind of, yeah, give back. My, I've got a bit of inside knowledge now from what it takes to be, to get to the top of the game. And it's cool now to kind of, give that back and, and whatever direction these kids take it in and that's up to them but what i'm trying to do is just give them the tools to have that driving force you know to, to have that winning mindset and whatever it is they pick to do with it mm. you know is up to them and, and, and i hope that i'm helping them kind of find their purpose and, and allowing them to work at a level and succeed at a level they want to succeed at Mate, I think that's fantastic, and I'm sure you are. I think already, if, if people are listening to this, um, mate, they can, I think they can take stuff away from just this chat alone. Now, I like to finish our conversations with some less serious questions, and if you've heard a couple of my cool. things, you'll know what's sort of coming your way, and it's just stuff that gives us a little insight, mate, into what you like at home, what music you listen to, what yeah. movies you watch, what food you eat, um, all that sort of stuff. So we'll start with, what's your favorite music? What sort of tunes do you get into? I think that it, deep down it's hip-hop. And the reason it's hip-hop is because for a long time as an athlete, I would listen to music before a race. and It had to be high intense, high energy, and get me psyched up and re ready to go to battle. So for me, it's been hip-hop. I don't listen to as much like, like hardcore stuff anymore because I'm, I'm a bit more chilled out. I don't have to be getting myself psyched up as much yeah. uh, mentally. So um, I do like, I, but I do like hip hop. If I had to name an artist, J. Cole is probably my guy. All right. What about favorite movies? What do you like to, to watch? Favorite movies? It's so hard to pick one, but if I'm to look back on a movie that I really enjoyed as a kid, I was given a DVD of a movie called Shawshank Redemption. Yep. And with who's in that it's not tom hanks is it or is it tom hanks anyway yeah. i watched that dvd like a hundred times in a year because it was the only dvd i had and yeah. i still love the movie and i've not seen it in a while and i want to go watch it soon actually because that's reminded me of how much i love that movie i don't know why there's probably a lot more like more up-to-date movies that i really enjoy too but that kind of resonates with me as something that i loved as a kid and i still really enjoy watching that 
Well, I don't know about you, but as I get older, I stop. I like, I'll keep up to date with certain movies, but they certainly don't resonate with me as much as like the old movies do. And like, I, I'm still a massive fan of like, um, remember the Titans, coach Carter, these sort of movies that I'll always yeah. remember. And then even the comedy, like Talladega nights. And that's like, Oh, I'll still throw quotes out like that, that only my brothers and my good friends will throw back at me and we'll have a good laugh. The kids look at me like yeah. I'm some old guy just referencing just movies that nobody knows. Yeah, for sure. Uh, mate, what about um, favorite meals? What, what do you like to eat? What do you like if you're out and you're having a few pints? What, what do you have? Bro, I could eat this meal every single day and it's just a cheeseburger and chips or cheeseburger and fries. I could, you know, there was definitely a point where I had one a day for like over a week <laughs> and I could do it. I could have one a day until I die. I just love it. Like a good, like a good cheeseburger, not like yeah. a McDonald's cheeseburger, yeah, like yeah. a proper, if you're over here, you go to a pub and you get a proper pub meal and it's like a nice, good, thick Angus beef good bit of cheese, um, ketchup, you know, that's my meal. I could literally have it every single day. Um, well, see, mate, you're riding 60Ks. You're riding 60Ks, so you can. You're allowed to have that. You're allowed to have a couple of pints and, and a cheeseburger and chips because you're riding 60Ks, so you've earned it. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> what about you're right, man. I get away with it. Yeah, of course, mate. Look, I'm having the cheeseburger and chips. I'm just not riding the 60Ks. Um, what about your favorite countries you've visited? You've been to a few. Yeah, so favorite countries I've been to. I went with, this wasn't so much a holiday, but it was a kind of, a, well, it was a working holiday. Uh, somebody called Carrie Ann Payne invited me out to St. Lucia in the Caribbean. And we what we did was we ran these kind of open water weekly courses for, for the for the guests that were staying on the resort but it was so beautiful the place you know we were because we were in the ocean like every day it was so such a unique experience sometimes you go on holiday and you kind of just sit back you don't do much because we were in and around the beach and the water every day it, it felt i just got a total, total different experience and felt way more connected to where i was um so i love st lucia um uh, where else i i love going around europe because it's, it's, it's a big place but i can hop on a, a plane and get to you know a different country each day it's pretty cool yeah. so i love kind of traveling around europe and uh um i obviously i've only ever been to australia once that's the thing i went for a commonwealth games that i'd never been before and i absolutely loved it but i would have liked to spend a bit more time there and as i mentioned my, my younger brother is he's living in perth right now in australia so I'll uh, hopefully come out and visit you guys soon um, just to see him and, and see a bit of more, uh, see, see a bit more of what Stuart has to offer. It'd be cool. Absolutely, mate. When all this uh, pandemic shit finishes, definitely, um, I, I think you'd, yeah. uh, you'd enjoy it, especially not so much being an athlete anymore and you just sort of get to let loose and enjoy yourself. But I've got to ask, when you're at the beach, I mean, the British aren't known for their, you know, handling of the sun do you, do you have to lather yourself up with sunscreen do you have to look after yourself yeah and i'm a pretty fair-haired guy so usually i you know i was gr growing up i usually get burnt now and then but see recently i don't know why i'm i'm getting some good color on me these days so yeah back in the day i was like a tomato every time yeah. i got burnt i was hot but now i think my skin has matured and uh, me and the sun get on pretty well now and I'm, I'm like, I'm turning to one big freckle, but uh, yeah, I do enjoy the sun. 
Hey, what about favorite TV shows? What do you like to binge watch when you get a chance to just sit at home or stay in bed? Um, so during lockdown, I watched the, the, the US office yep. from start to finish, which was pretty good. I like some of these, these cheap comedies, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I could watch that every day. Um, yeah, I, I'm more of a comedy guy because I, I, I get distracted a lot. So if it's proper serious TV series, I'll I'll just get lost and I'll go on my phone and I'll look up and there's like three guys have been killed and there's been like two twists and all this and I'll just don't know where I'm going. So I find it hard to keep up with the really good ones, which is a shame because there's so many good ones like like the Breaking Bad or like Game of Thrones. Like, yeah, I just don't have the the, the capacity to, to to keep up with it all. So I kind of just watch like easy watching comedies is more my thing. Did you get around the uh, the Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls documentary? Oh, yeah. That was awesome. I absolutely loved that, actually. That was one of the best documentaries I've seen. And what was cool about it was there could be so many other documentaries within that yeah. about different people uh, that would just be unreal. Uh, but, yeah, that was awesome because, obviously, MJ was – I would always say MJ was an idol of mine, but I didn't know half of what MJ was like or what he did. I just knew him as this great basketball player. And so it was cool to actually learn a bit more about exactly what he did and how good he was and why he was good. Um, it was pretty cool to kind of educate myself on that. Yeah, mate, I was throffing over that. For, as soon as it came out, because then they didn't do it, and I did love it. Um, they, they didn't sort of allow you to binge watch it. They just put two episodes out and then you had to wait till the next yeah. week. Um, yeah, and, and I really enjoyed well, that. Yeah, I don't know if anybody else out there did this, but it sort of brought the family together and we we're always sitting around waiting for it, um, which doesn't happen as, yeah, as often sure. as you'd like these days. What about favourite quotes, mate? Have you got any? Yeah, I got a couple of favourite quotes. and uh, They're both from my coaches in Florida. One was from Greg Troy. And he used to say, let me get this right, he said, um, he said, he used to say to me, you're better than, no, you think you're better than you are, but you don't know how good you could be. Yeah. So basically that was like him saying, he was keeping me humble. You know, he was keeping me humble. He was keeping me in line being like, yeah, don't get too comfortable. You're not that good, but what you don't realize is how good you could actually be. And yeah. I think that it was kind of like tough love in a way, but I liked how he said it to me and I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Mm. And then the other one, um, <laughs> It's from Anthony Nesty. And what he said to me was, if you're going to be a man at night, you're going to be a man in the morning. So originally, when you, initially when you think of that, it's like if you're going to go out for some beers at night, you got to make sure you got to kick ass in the morning. And essentially, mm -hmm. that's what it means. But I took that on a bigger scale. And what it, what it meant to me was, you know, there's no excuses. If you come, I, 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 took, it, I took it away from like going out drinking at night. I thought, okay, well, if I turn up, for example, and I don't, I don't, I don't feel that well, you still got to kick ass. You still got to go for it. If you turn up late because your bike broke down, your car broke down, and you're all flustered, doesn't matter. Yeah. And what it taught me to be was just be really, really resilient and just like no matter what the circumstances are, whether you're hungover or whether you're not feeling well, whether you're late or whether you've got stresses in your outside life, if, if you can still get it done, then the days when you're feeling good, you're going to fly. So I took that and I made it a bigger thing than it actually was. And, and it's like this work hard, play hard thing. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter how you're feeling, whether it's self-inflicted or it's stress in the outside life or you're late or whatever. If you can, you know, blind out the, the, 
the outside extremities and you can just keep going, then you're going to be really, really, really good at what you did. So two, two guys I really looked up to and two quotes that, that kind of kept me going and I still think about every day. Man, I love them. Uh, that second one especially is one of my favorites. Now, finally, what, what do you want people to uh, remember you by? So if I said, you know, Dan Wallace to, to say Tommy Fraser Holmes or before he starts talking about the beer pong stories and that sort of stuff. But, you know, how do you want to be remembered as, a, as an athlete for Scotland and Great Britain? I want to be remembered as someone that got the job done in his own way. Okay, went his own way and did it, did it in in his style, and um, but someone that just had so much fun with what he was doing and enjoyed it and was bouncing off the walls and was such a, you know, out, an outgoing guy within a pretty strict and intense sport, you know, and and it's I you know stemming back from when I started when I was nine years old I did it because I enjoyed it and I had yeah. fun, and up until. The day I stopped swimming, I was doing it because I enjoyed it and I had fun. And along the way, you know, I won a couple of medals and it was pretty great. But the, overall, I I tried to have as much fun as I could. And I tried to make other people have as much fun as they could because being an Olympic athlete is stressful and it's intense and it's competitive and there's so much pressure. So if you can balance that with having a laugh and being with your mates and socializing and I think I kind of got that balance pretty well at times. And that's why I loved what sport gave me. Mate, I love it. And uh, I think it's a perfect opportunity to, to wrap it up there and, and say uh, thank you very much for agreeing to come on for a chat. Um, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, you've got a lot of other things going on. You didn't have to. So firstly, thank you very much. Um, thank you for sitting down with me and, and allowing me to go through your uh, amazing career and all the stuff that you're, you know, you achieved. And, and I think, you know, to your point just there, that that is something that I'll take away from this interview is not only, you know, did you achieve so much, but you did it with somewhat of a smile on your face in terms of you were just enjoying yourself along the way as well. I think so much, so often, you know, athletes can get caught in their own head and can get stuck in, you know, um, chasing those goals. But, you know, along the way you had your goals, but by the sounds of it, your other goal was to enjoy yourself as well. And if you weren't enjoying yourself, then what were you doing it for? So mate, I definitely think um, people will take that away from it. And I just want to say thank you very much for coming on Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you for having me, guys. Today's episode of Off The Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. Don't forget to head over and check out our YouTube page to catch all the fantastic interviews you may have missed from Season 3 so far. Go there, like and subscribe to stay up to date with all the latest news from the podcast. Keep your podcast fixed right here this week as we still have heaps more stars coming your way and you will not want to miss a minute of the action. Until tomorrow though, guys, have a great day. Remember to smile and laugh, please. And it's bye for now. Just